0: You are listening to The Pursuit of Yoginess with your host, Rudy J. Welcome to The Pursuit of Yoginess, habits and hacks guiding your post-YTT success. I'm your host, Rudy J, here to help navigate your pursuits as new yoga instructors. Welcome back. Today, we are joined by Cecily Milne. As the director of Yoga Detour, Cecily is driven to raise the standards of the yoga and movement teaching community. She has invested countless hours in creating standalone programs that connect science to intuition and learning to experience, shifting mindsets through movement. Cecily holds over 500 hours of training from Downward Dog Yoga Center, complemented with study abroad under the guidance of Petri Reisinen, Rolf Naujokat, and Emily Wendell. She has been working as a full-time yoga teacher turned movement facilitator since 2008. In 2014, Cecily broadened her horizons and engaged in direct study with the Edo Portal team. She has trained with Agatsu Inc. along with gymnastic bodies and is a certified functional range conditioning movement specialist. Cecily studied with internationally renowned osteopath Dr. Guy Voyer. Creator of the Soma Training System and LDOA from 2015 to 2016, and she is currently certified to lead LDOA classes. Prior to her role with Yoga Detour, Cecily operated the Yoga Element, training clients privately in Toronto. And created Lake of Bays Yoga, a small Muskoka based studio that ran a small Muskoka based studio that ran seasonal classes from 2009 to 2015 man, Cecily has such a wealth of knowledge and experience. She is such a cool and inspiring yogi, yoga influence. Her journey is so amazing. And this interview specifically literally had me like jumping around with excitement. I just wanted to to know so much more about Cecily. Um, And I was so taken by her journey and the way she speaks and the way that her insights are just so spot on and so amazingly helpful and beneficial for us all. So without further ado, let's welcome Cecily to the show and stick around until the very end because she has so graciously and generously offered an exclusive gift or offering for the POY listeners. Let's welcome her to the show. All right, Cecily, welcome to the pursuit of yoginess. How is it going?
1: It's going so great. I'm really happy to be here with you today.
0: Yeah, I'm excited to chat. So let's talk about your journey in starting out with yoga and what initially brought you to the practice.
1: Sure. Yeah i um, I started doing yoga when I was in university as a student living in Halifax, and at the time, I didn't really know anything about yoga. I hadn't ever heard of it all that much at the time. And when I had been growing up, I came, I, I kind of came from a dance perspective, from doing a lot of kind of ballet when I was growing up, and uh, but never anything that looked like yoga. And so, at the time when I was in school, I had been just basically being a gym rat for a few years at that time. And one day, I was work, working out the YMCA on, on my way out. I passed by one of the studios where there was a yoga class happening. And I just happened to glance in and see all these people in there doing upward facing dog. Mm-hmm. And I thought to myself, wow, that looks like it feels really good. And I kind of made a mental note to myself to go back and try that class. And I did the next weekend. I was in there and I couldn't really believe my eyes at what I was seeing because I'm, again, not knowing anything about Yoga, I just happened to walk in to an Ashtanga half primary series class. So there was no kind of beginner entry level start for me. I kind of threw myself over the edge into the deep end. And I was amazed at how people in that room were able to bend their bodies in ways I didn't even know were possible. And I remember waking up the next day and just being so sore. Mm -hmm. And I could barely even like reach dishes in the cupboards in the kitchen. And I I remember really liking that at the time when I was at that age, I really loved feeling that kind of intensity and being challenged and being confronted with things that I couldn't do and being really determined to to keep going back and figuring it out. So I was going then consistently once a week and then twice a week and then three times a week. And then eventually I ended up traveling down to Australia because my parents were living in Sydney at the time. And while I was there, I really wanted to find a way to practice because now this whole yoga thing was starting to become more and more important to me. And I stumbled upon a studio called Yoga Moves, which was uh, at the time the kind of Australian satellite location of the the Shala from Mysore, India. Whenever Patavi Joyce would come to Australia, he would go to the studio to teach because Eileen Hall, the owner of the studio, was one of his um, more senior students. So it was in that studio where I became introduced to the whole difference between Mysore style versus lead classes. Mm. And I, again, right. had never heard of that differentiation before, so I was a bit confused at the start. And then I just kind of fell in love hook, line and sinker with the Mysore style. I love the the vibe, the the whole feeling in, in the room of just the lack of talking and just the breath and the movement that was going on with everyone really invested in their own practice. And, and I started to take it more and more seriously, it became a bigger part of my life while I was down in Australia. So that when I came back to Halifax, I approached my initial teacher that I went to there at the Y. And I told her and she invited me to start coming to practice out of her home, where she was running a small MyStar program. And that became my everyday thing. I was going either in the mornings or in the evenings to practice with her and the small community of practitioners that were now following that same path. And I think I I was doing that for maybe two, two years, maybe a bit more before moving back to Toronto. And I grew up grew up here uh, just outside the city in Mississauga and I just knew the grapevine of kind of maintaining my connections to this community that to do yoga in Toronto meant to go to downward dog and so that's where I immediately went and started practicing there in, in the Mysore program with Ron Reed and uh and that's where my practice started to become even more—I'm gonna say—mature. Where he kind of took me, took me under his wing, and showed me how to start reining my practice in and bringing a little bit more strength and integrity into things that hadn't been there before. And eventually, I kind of came around to the idea of teaching and enrolling in the teacher training program. And that was in 2007. So it's been almost 10 years now that I've been teaching full time, and a lot's changed over the course of those 10 years. Where. I no longer teach Ashtanga yoga. I no longer practice Ashtanga yoga. Mm. I uh, it's about 20, 2011 when, remember 2013 when injury really started to creep its way into my body, into my back specifically. Um, I'm hypermobile, so I've always had a lot of range of motion, but not a lot of control over that range of motion. And at the time, I was doing a lot of pretty advanced postures, lots of back bends, lots of leg behind the head. Uh, lots of stuff that I don't do anymore of today, and uh, and and just that lack of balance with anything other, with any other type of movement in my life, I think, is what led to some pretty significant repetitive strain. And so, uh, it came time that I realized that I needed to kind of venture off the yoga mat, so to speak, and into other movement communities and start learning more about strength and uh, mobility. And that's what has propelled me onto the path I'm on now where I still am practicing what I call yoga, but I infuse a lot of other stuff into that practice and into what I teach.
0: Hmm, And I love it. Um, so let's talk about that specifically. So what you are doing with Yoga Detour, I mean, the philosophy and and the offerings in the movement, it's such a different approach, I feel like, um, mm-hmm. yeah, from a lot of trainings that are being offered right now. Um, so yeah, so let's talk a little bit about Yoga Detour and kind of what you are offering there. Yoga
1: Detour was kind of the brainchild between me and Catherine Bruni Young, one of my colleagues who at the time was still working at Downward Dog and now she lives in Cornwall, just outside of Toronto. And she she was the one to come to me and say, I think we need to make something of this. I think we need to create our own training program. And I kind of looked around just the Toronto community and just saw it as being so saturated, like who needs another teacher training program? Why get involved in a market where there's already so many offerings? people are spoiled for choice? How can we compete? But she obviously convinced me that it was the right thing to do because we did it and and the idea behind it was that we knew that what we were doing was different, what we were teaching in our classes, what we were practicing ourselves, and the exposure that we'd had to people great coaches, great instructors from outside of the yoga community were really what we going to differentiate us because our perspective was different. And both of us had experienced injuries through our yoga practice and had then healed ourselves by doing other forms of movement. And so we wanted to use ourselves as examples and capitalize on our experience and show people how they could keep their yoga practice more sustainable and treat it as one of many things that they do in terms of movement and, and taking care of themselves. And so the yoga detour training was born and became a real reflection of how we could bridge the gap for people between kind of a more functional approach to movement while still maintaining a connection to the yoga practice. Mm.
0: I I love that. I feel like once we start to take different approaches, especially in the yoga world, like there's that risk, quote unquote, of moving away from, you know, the roots, the tradition, the origins. Sure. Yeah. So did yeah. you experience any sort of like, oh, well, you guys are like the rebels of yoga <laughs> or
1: something? I think that our timing was right. Mm. I think that if we had tried to do that even two years before we, before we launched, it may not have been as successful as it has been. But there seems to be a growing undercurrent in the community now of people who were ready for change. And those people were waiting for, for Catherine and I to launch this program because in our first year when we ran the training, it was full. It was sold out. People were so ready to, to hear information that wasn't being taught anywhere else. Mm-hmm. That said, I think that I mean, one of the stumbling blocks that, um, that I've had along the way since since launching the program is that we don't align ourselves with Yoga Alliance. Mm-hmm. And if anything, I think that that's the one thing that does turn some people away from the training is that we're saying that we don't feel, A, that it's important to be aligned or registered with Yoga Alliance, and that what we are teaching people is based so much more on experience and what we as teachers know Works to get people trained and then hired to be able to do this for a living, Mm. as opposed to abiding by a set of guidelines put out by people who aren't actually here on the ground doing the work. So, I think that in that way, we were, we really were rebelling against the norm. And I think we've definitely lost some business due to that. People who still believe that they need to do a training that's going to give them an RYT you know, logo. Mm -hmm. But uh, but in general, as far as our approach goes, it's been really positively received. And uh, and I feel that that is only it's only growing. We're on the radar screen of more people, which is exciting.
0: Mm -hmm, Definitely. And something I kind of want to just point out there in highlight, you may have lost you know, some potential students or bodies or interest in not being affiliated with Yoga Alliance. But I think that that's okay because you knew and you felt powerfully and and strong and passionate about what your offering was and why you chose not to. And I think it can get really easy, especially when we're creating something new, to get swayed and deterred by outsiders opinions kind of saying like, Oh, well, maybe you shouldn't do that. The more that we connect and, and, you know, come back to this why and what we're doing, it it really is that driving force that, that sort of keeps us going. And let's talk a little bit about kind of the business side of things. So as, as a business owner operator, um, maybe some of the challenges that you may have faced in the development of yoga detour.
1: Sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, the Yoga, Yoga Alliance is definitely one point in that regard. I mean, it was a business decision. We felt that it was on brand to not align with, with that organization because it was one more way that we were differentiating ourselves and kind of the detour ask way of like showing people another path. You know, you didn't have to follow the mainstream and just mm-hmm. go get certified by this so-called governing body if you weren't inclined to do so. And I mean, for the record, they're not actually a governing body. They're just a registry. So, <laughs> but... In addition to that, I think that what was really important learning a learning process for, for both myself and Catherine was that partnership is challenging. And we started the business together and set out with you know very even uh participation and what, what was going on behind the scenes. And then when Catherine decided to move out of Toronto to Cornwall, it became clear to both of us that she needed more time and more um, focus on her own, her own brand, her own work that she was doing out there. Cause she was starting again and she needed to build her own studio and she needed to really pay attention to the, what was required to make her own personal goals come to fruition. So it was at that time that we, um, uh, made the decision that she would stay involved as a, as a faculty member with a detour, but that the actual company would become mine. And so since then I've been, you know, at the reins, and and that also is challenging. You know, doing something on your own is, I would say, next to impossible. I would not have been able to do this if I had stayed as just one person. I'm very lucky that since uh, making the decision to take it on myself, I have had people come to me and provide the kind of support that has become totally uh, invaluable. You know, that I couldn't imagine. Being without at this point, um Jen Cardoso, who's our program manager for the trainings, is like my right hand. And without her, there is even just a sounding board. I think I would have imploded a long time ago. Mm-hmm. and And now, as our offerings continue to grow, our team continues to grow. So I think that that's that's been the the large learning process is that I knew from the outset that I didn't want to do it by myself, which is why I agreed to do it with Catherine. But then once we went our separate ways, I knew I still wanted to connect to the vision and the mission and that bringing the right people in to help support that was vital to the success that we've had so far.
0: Mm -hmm. Which can also be kind of tricky too, because it's, I feel like it's just as you're speaking, I'm thinking like, it must be so hard to sort of connect with people who are in alignment with what you're trying to offer. And then to sort of create this, you know, synchronicity between everybody. That's, that's like a, you know, that's a huge part of the business. Yeah. Set, set aside what you're actually offering. It's like, you know, putting it all together, which is huge.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, totally. Yeah, yeah, I think that, I mean... I've been lucky in the sense that my team has come out of people who have been in my class, Amazing. <laughs> you know, so they, so they know what I do. They know what I'm really uh, focused on and creating. Uh, Jen was a member of the very first teacher training class that we had. And I remember she came to me about half halfway through that program and just said that she was so uh, taken with what, I, what we were creating with yoga detour and she wanted to be part of it. And that's where that relationship started. And then we have an educational consultant, on board with us who has been coming to my class at downward dog for years and so she again is very familiar with my approach and knows how to support that because she's she's already kind of part of the yoga detour uh fabric so to speak so yeah it's um i i think that when building a team and finding finding people who you can have those connections with it makes a big difference when you're all on the same page from the beginning
0: Yeah. And, and it's so powerful, you know, those new teachers who are trying to make these connections. It's important to invest in and actually like where you're teaching and like what you're part of. And I find that the more, the more I talk to people, the more I hear like of these almost organic, you know, relationships being established. And that just comes from, like you're saying, like taking a class, like the universe aligns you with what you're putting out. So let's kind of touch on, some of your background training, so your experiences with other teachers, coaches, you kind of how those have shaped and, and, and guided you on your journey.
1: Yeah, it's been pretty massive, gotta say. I mean, obviously my teachers that I had through yoga were fundamental to shaping my view of the practice. But then once, the, once my back injury kind of became front and center and I knew I needed to seek expertise elsewhere, uh, it started in a strength gym. And just handling weight, dumbbells, kettlebells, barbells for the first time, and the coaches who helped me along with that were were perfect for where I was at. You know, it was very it was it was it was entry level, very easy to get started, and yet I had enough attention that they made sure I wasn't doing things that I'd hurt myself with, mm-hmm. um, and. Then when I was sort of paying more attention to what other people were doing in the movement community, that's where I became familiar with the work of Ido Portal and uh, here in Canada, Sean, um, Sean and Sarah of Agatsu uh, here in Montreal, their work is also really amazing. I'm training with them and, and going, you know, down the rabbit hole of gymnastics training with Christopher Summer and Gymnastic Bodies and, and really Going in all the directions that I found myself drawn toward for for a couple of years there. And then I started to get a little bit more picky around the caliber of education that I was receiving. So I I didn't want to do weekend intensives anymore. I wanted to be able to immerse myself. And that's when I started following Andrea Spina, Dr. Dr. Spina, who's the guy behind Functional Range Conditioning. Mm. And so I've done a couple of different trainings with him now, just getting more and more familiar with that whole approach to movement. And that's had a real, uh, I'd say, game-changing effect on my approach to both how I practice personally and what I teach. And, and I've also spent a considerable amount of time with a French osteopath named Guy Voyer who um, actually my current strength coach introduced me to uh, a couple of years ago. And together, he and I did Guy's SOMA training in Montreal, which was over the course of five weekends. And then from there, I continued working with him to learn his method of spinal decompression, which is called ELDOA. It's an acronym, capital E-L-D-O-A. And uh that is what kind of switched my brain on to a whole other level of learning where things became far more anatomical, far more academic. And I had to really up my game in terms of what I knew and understood. So I started reading more and watching more videos and just, and really kind of giving myself a crash course. Now when I teach people, I often get asked if I went to school for, you know, to become a physio or an osteopath Uh or anything like that, because I've done so much extra work on, on learning about the body. Mm -hmm. But it's really through those um, more in-depth courses and more in-depth trainings. And of course, the regular sessions that I continue to have with my coach here in Toronto, his name's Love Deep Duna. And uh, he's, I, I always say, one of the smartest people that I know, bar none. And I think just being around him on a regular basis every week and just kind of learning by doing in his presence has been it's had a massive effect on on what I know and understand about movement and what I've been able to contribute to the work I do with my clients and in my classes.
0: Mm-hmm. And what might you say to the teachers out there that are wanting access to more and to learning more, but maybe, you know, are a little overwhelmed or financially may not be able to do that right now? Yeah. Kind of how did you start out?
1: I didn't really start throwing myself into all these trainings until, I mean, the last four years, I'd say. But when I first started out as a teacher, I really just immersed myself in the practice I learned in my training. Mm -hmm. And I used the faculty and the teachers that I taught me in that training as my resources, Uh, going to their classes, asking them questions and continuing the learning process that way. Because I, you know, once I, once I became a teacher in the studio, it was free for me to attend class. And so that mm-hmm. was a free resource that I could, that that way I could stay connected to the learning process. I think that that a, they need to just start like stop thinking that you need to get more information and just start mm-hmm. doing something, you know, rather than always putting it off and waiting for one more training to come along to feel ready. You know, I think that if we get to start get the ball rolling and then you'll realize the direction that you want to be going in and the potential holes that you still may feel you need to, to fill but then beyond that, I also tell people to never stop learning. You know, you can start teaching and still be a student at the same time. And that learning process, like I said, can can just be happening with your peers, with just the teachers that you have in your home studio, with the classes that you get to go to on a regular basis. And then for me, I mean, I had to obviously build up a bit of a of a financial support system to be able to afford the trainings that I've done. And so I, I worked hard. I saw a lot of clients, I taught a lot of classes every week. So I was able to build up financial position that allowed me to take on these trainings in a way that didn't break the bank. So I've never wanted to feel like I was going into debt and becoming stressed out just for the sake of my education. I've always wanted to have a balance there. So yeah, I I usually average about one serious training a year. Um, If it's a good year, maybe it'll be two. But yeah, space in the mouth is really important. And it's not just financially important. It's also important because your brain, I believe, can only absorb so much at one time. Mm -hmm. So I like to give myself time to sit with information, especially when I was working with Guy in Montreal. I mean, that stuff was so intense and so in-depth. And I knew at the time I was getting nothing just in the time that we were together And it was not until the weeks and the months following each weekend where I would realize this stuff was finally starting to make sense in my head. It was in there, but I hadn't yet started to figure it out. Mm. And so I think if I just kept piling more and more and more on top of that, I wouldn't really gain very much from it. So for me, it's about figuring out how much I can, I can process at one time and not overloading the system by committing to too much. Mm -hmm.
0: And I really want to stress that because especially for myself, like I've been teaching for about a year and a half now and I like just started diving more into my anatomy and literally I'm like listening to you speak and I'm like, I have to read like a chapter every other day and like sit Mm -hmm. with it and move Mm -hmm. with it you know, my nature is to, okay, I want to learn everything now. I want to do it now. And like, and and I think that that as, as new teachers, we really do come out with that hunger. And like, it's partly because we feel like we don't know enough. So we want to take more trainings, but it's also partly because we feel like we know nothing. So we're like, oh my gosh, we have this like hunger for all of this knowledge. It's so important to, to digest what we already know and, and keep mm-hmm. coming back to it and keep working through it. So in terms of combining this, this yoga world and the business world, these two concepts, well, they really do seem to kind of clash and have this stigma attached to them. So in terms of of knowing your worth and how to set your rates and how to market and brand yourself, but at the same time, honor sort of your credentials, quote unquote, of what you feel you are worthy of. And then also kind of honoring that authentic side Um, the genuine service that we provide as instructors. Like, I just think that it it can become, you know, a little bit of a tricky balance. Like, we want to help people. We want to, you know, help them in their practice physically. We want to make people feel good. And like, sometimes I think that those lines get blurred.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. I just actually finished writing a chapter for our yoga Tour manual all about this. Mm -hmm. And I... I think that when I became first became a teacher, I was seeing things just like how you're just describing, as wanting to be a service provider, wanting to help people, wanting to charge enough money that would, you know, make me feel good, as if I was I was you know making what I felt I was worth, while at the same time not charging so much they weren't going to be able to afford it, um, and and I think that's like a typical beginner mindset. Now when I continue to work with private clients I have been doing now for a number of years, I have kind of switched it up a little bit. So rather than seeing it as being a reflection of my worth, I try and price my services as a reflection of the value that the person who I'm working with is receiving. So that takes time to determine because it changes, you know. I am now putting a lot of time and uh, energy and resources into every session that I deliver because of all the training that I've had and all the time I've spent, you know, becoming a better version of myself as a teacher compared to the version myself that first started in 2007. So I know that the value that someone's getting from a session with me today is much different than the value they would have been the value of what they would have received from me ten years ago. Um, and I think that that has helped to shape my sense of confidence around charging for my services in a way where it's not just me trying to be accommodating anymore. It's me trying to give people an honest reflection of what they're getting. Mm. Uh, and I'm okay if not everyone can afford it. You know, I'm not as much as we are a service provider and yoga is about giving back. I find that, uh, uh there does come a time when, I I know exactly what it feels like to be taken advantage of in that way and to have people only want you to work harder to make them feel better. And I have been down that path and I've had the burnout and I know what it's like to just keep giving, 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 giving and never bringing anything back in for myself. So uh, in the last couple of years, I've really cut back on the number of sessions that I teach every week and instead they now come a little bit of a higher price tag. I find that one of the best methods for figuring out what to charge and how to feel good about charging in the first place to create a business out of what started most likely for a lot of people as a passion uh, and something very personal, and then it becomes their, you know, living, mm-hmm. uh, has been to work backwards in terms of asking myself what it is that I need to, to survive, and then what do I need also to thrive. So rather than just living on scraps <laughs> and paying <laughs> to live on and paying for the bare minimum of what I need in my life, how can I live the life that I want to live? How can I create that for myself? And what is that going to take? And then whatever number that, I, you know, maybe come, I come up with from that, whether it's per week or per month, then I can look at that and be like, okay, well, if I, if I feel that that's what I need to be bringing in every week, then how many sessions is that with clients? How many classes is that at the studio? And then I have a number in my mind where I say, okay, and what if my rate was a little bit higher, how would that change the number of classes or things I need to teach in order to be making, making what I need to have the life that I want to lead. And I think that doing things kind of from that working backwards mentality was super helpful for me because it gave me a baseline where it stopped being about anybody else. And it started being about, you know, the life that I wanted to create for myself.
0: Mm -hmm. When you're assessing this and sort of mapping out, um, your offerings and, and what you are receiving and kind of what you want your life to look like, do you like write that down or? Sometimes. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think that I, am I'm, I'm not great at that part. I think I probably should write more down. <laughs> I know that people have such great success from, you know, doing five minute journaling every day. And, mm-hmm. and I just never been all that consistent with that, but I I'm, I'm pretty cerebral. I'm a big thinker. So I, I think a lot about what I want and I visualize that way. And sometimes I'll say things out loud. I found that that's one of the best ways for me to manifest mm. is rather than writing everything down, I just speak it. And sometimes I speak it to myself, <laughs> a little bit crazy. And sometimes <laughs> I'll just say it out loud to my friends or my family or my partner. And I'll say like, this is what I really want. This is what I really feel like I can create. And this is how I think I can do it. Mm -hmm. And that way it's been, it's, it's come out of my head and it's out in the world in some, in some form, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and that is what then allows me to start slowly piece by piece gradually working in that direction
0: let's talk a little bit about uh, offerings that you provide um within yoga detour and and perhaps even outside of that program um maybe just some like strategies or insights on what goes into like your workshops or your online offerings and and yeah without giving too many of your your secrets away (laughs) sure our
1: trade secrets uh yeah i mean the the epitome of what we do with yoga detour is education It's all based around education. And the reason why I don't use the word training is, I mean, it is a training, but I I say education is our nucleus because we try to really emphasize the learning process above everything else. So In our 200-hour program, that learning process looks like a formalized curriculum where we've spent a lot of time, like I said earlier, we have an educational consultant working with us on helping guide a process that is really going to teach people something and not just take them through an experience. I think a lot of 200-hour programs are great, wonderful experiences. People walk out of them and they don't actually know that much. We are creating a program. We have created a program Mm -hmm. that is based on A higher standard of learning, and that is asking the teachers who are in our program to hold themselves accountable to a higher standard as well. Because, you know, I find that in in a lot of workshops, people will basically be paying just to hear somebody talk. Mm -hmm. You know, a teacher will go in and say, This is what I really, I'm really into this right now. This is what I want to share with you today. And instead, what I find to be so much more valuable for students is for a teacher to come in and acknowledge what the student is there to learn what do they need to learn right now? Where are they at? And kind of meet them where they're at to be able to provide what it is that's going to take that student further along on their journey and not just make the student's eyes bulge out of their head (laughs) thinking that this teacher is like some, you know, godly creature because they're so amazing at doing whatever, you know? So I find that, um, emphasizing the education piece in our training has been number one. And then, when we branch out of the 200 hour into our continuing education program, then we invite faculty to share now at a little bit more of a refined level. So more specific in terms of the offerings, the topics, the themes that come up in the workshops, we invite more people in from out of town. We just had, um, Bree Johnson, who's from Edmonton, heart and bones yoga, Online, she uh, she's a really really lovely teacher who is following a similar direction as we are in terms of making the yoga practice more sustainable. And so when we find people like that, thanks to the good old internet, <laughs> who are who are really seeming to jive in the same way as what we're doing with yoga detour, then it makes a lot of sense for us to bring them in and collaborate so that people can see and get a feel for how this alternative community is shaping up. That there's not just a few of us around who are asking questions now about the tradition. There's actually a whole subculture of, of people who have been through experiences like mine and have come out on the other side with something that they want to share in a way that's going to be uh, received, I think, in a, in a way that people are ready for. Mm-hmm.
0: As a, a lead teacher trainer, um, graduating students, what are some sort of prevalent challenges that you kind of oversee in some of your students who are you know, coming out of this training? Is there anything I kind of can pinpoint there?
1: I think one of the biggest challenges for people is getting hired. Mm. to actually work <laughs> as teachers yeah, and especially now i mean 10 years ago was a different story and 20 years ago was named a different story in terms of how teachers didn't struggle to get work because there wasn't so many of us and now there's 30 new teachers being pumped out by every program every weekend around the world you know mm. so there's there's no shortage and for that reason it can be that much more challenging to get noticed and to get hired uh I find that people who come into a, t- a teacher training program expecting to walk out with a job are so can be surprised how the yoga industry is so much different from other industries in the sense that you can't just shop around your resume. You're not going to just be uh-huh. acquiring jobs in the same sense with a cover letter and a resume that lists your credentials. I think that to really Find your home and to find a place where you enjoy the teaching, like you were saying before. It, it takes a lot of time. You know, you got to spend time in different places, connect with different communities, practice with different teachers, and then start putting yourself out there, asking to sub, asking for some kind of way in, whether it's energy exchange, just to be able to practice somewhere for free in exchange for whether it's mopping the floors or doing the posters or wh- whatever skill you have to offer in exchange. And in that way, experiencing different communities and starting to get a feel for where you fit in and where your niche is. Because I think that too many teachers nowadays will be tempted to just go in whatever direction accepts them. You know, and I think that while in some ways that could work out, you know, we can get lucky and that could be great. But at the same time, there's the risk of going in a direction just because someone asked us to, when really we could end up teaching in a place, teaching students that we're not really all that aligned with or in an environment that doesn't feel supportive Mm. and feeling a little bit trapped as a result of that. So I think it is super important to start in a way where you're open to all the possibilities and to invest your time and to invest in, you know, that exploration, figuring out what makes us feel really good as teachers, where can you go? What studio can you be in? What gym can you be in where you walk out feeling energized, as opposed to walking out feeling totally drained. And same goes with the people that we teach, you know, there's always been clients where I know the one I know the clients I have that help to build me up and boost me up as much as I'm doing the same for them. And then there's those who I walk out of sessions feeling totally exhausted and those are people who I don't want to work with, you know? And so I think that while at the beginning, we might not all have the luxury of being as choosy as we want to be, but in time, that kind of strategy does help to make uh, the ability to keep working in this industry uh, easier rather than feeling like a real hustle, a hard hustle. hmm
0: definitely. And what might you say to that situation where teachers may be, because there's so much competition and maybe they're unsure of what to do but also holding on to another job that maybe they don't even quite you know, they're not really in alignment. Mm-hmm, yeah. What is like kind of like
1: the balance? No, oh, I think everyone's super different. I mean, in my case, I was waitressing while yes. I did my while I while I did my teacher training program mm-hmm. and I I think I'm an exception an exception in the sense that when I just decided to go Go for it, you know. I said, "I'm, I'm just going to do this. It's going to work out." (laughs) And I quit my job, and I decided that this was going to be it for me. I wanted to teach. I wanted this to be my, my, my career. And I never wanted to have to go back to waitressing because I really hated it. (laughs) 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 it Because I needed to, you know. And I think that we've all been there in some way. And I think that nowadays I probably wouldn't have had the luxury of quitting as quickly as I did. I probably would have had to keep serving for longer until I had established more of a following, more of a client base. So I think that there's a lot of people out there who aren't able to call yoga their full-time job and they have a side hustle of a different kind, you know, and that's, that is what it is. I think that that has to be respected and it's probably a lot, a lot more common now than, than it would have been a few years ago Mm -hmm. based on just availability of work. Um, yeah, I think that, I think that in coming into this, choice of lifestyle there's a lot of compromises that get made you know whether not just teaching yoga but also just being an entrepreneur and those compromises can look like not having a regular paycheck not having benefits not having insurance and so if those are things that are really important I mean we all have different life circumstances I at the time was single I didn't have anyone else I needed to support Mm -hmm. I didn't have to worry I didn't have any significant health challenges you know there was you know, the odd doctor appointment or eye doctor or dentist that I needed to afford, but it was okay that I didn't have coverage for that. Mm-hmm. But I think that, you know, not all of us who are teachers are in the same position. And so I think it's important to to address where we're at. And then, like I said before, what we need and the best way to support ourselves in those in those needs so that we can go and pursue what it is that we want without being kind of burdened by a whole lot of additional stress that comes from having taken that leap at a time when maybe we didn't have everything in place that that was necessary. Mm-hmm.
0: Can you share a quote or a passage or a phrase, something that kind of guides you, keeps you going in difficult times in your own journey?
1: Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a few of those, I suppose, that go mm-hmm. in and out of my mind, but the one that's sort of sticking with me right now. Um, For for a while, my partner has been trying to get me to read a book called The One Thing. And I just started reading it. And it's excellent. And the main message in that book is, if you could only do one thing today that's going to make everything else easier, what would that one thing be? Mm. Because, I mean, the whole premise of the book is that we're all going to have a sort of better time at this whole thing called entrepreneurship if we can figure out what our one purpose is in our work. So like I said, my one purpose is educating and there's a lot of different ways I choose to do that, but it all comes back down to the education piece. And then in the same sense, you know, it's so easy to get caught up in our day-to-day to do list and thinking, you know, Oh my God, how am I going to get through all of this today? I have so much to do. I'm so busy. I'm so overwhelmed. When really, if we can just pinpoint one thing, like if I only got one thing accomplished that would then make all these other things a little bit easier, a little bit more attainable, then what would that one thing be? And I think that that's a really helpful little reminder that I, you can use to catch myself when I'm heading down that you know, stress spiral into thinking that, you know, everything's overwhelming and out of my control. Mm
0: -hmm. I love it. The following five are five habits to help us all function better and more successfully in our day-to-day lives. Yeah. In a few words, can you just share the role that they serve in your own life and maybe a little tip for us to implement? Sure. Uh, Yeah. So the first one is self-health.
1: Self-health, I find, is a personal struggle. <laughs> uh, I, I definitely do still have a hard time balancing what I put out to help other people versus what I do for myself. Mm-hmm. And it's always easier, I find, to help others as opposed to taking care of me. But I am paying more and more attention to that. And right now, <clears throat> my focus has been on uh, keeping my body feeling healthy. So I never go down that injury trail again. And looking at the uh, theme right now for me seems to be on my, my feet, <laughs> taking care of my feet and changing out footwear, no longer wearing shoes that hurt my feet every day, Wearing wearing footwear that helps to serve kind of a healthy healthy balance, healthy toast spread, healthy walking patterns. Mm-hmm. And I also just invested in a, in a pair of toast spreaders that are my new favorite thing. And so <laughs>
0: I, I, I love it. Yeah. <laughs> that's amazing. Um, the second is authenticity.
1: Mm-hmm. Authenticity. I think I, that is going to come through in my teaching. Um, I've always had, I've always felt it challenging to, Separate my work from the work of those who inspire my work, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. You know, like I'm not teaching from a place of emulation, but I am definitely teaching from a place that's inspired by a lot of, a lot of the training that I've had. Mm-hmm. So finding a way where I can teach where it's authentically my voice and my uh, approach, where I am confident that the way I say it is is good and the way that I want to present it is good and it doesn't have to sound like somebody else. Um, And at the same time, giving credit where credit is due, obviously. But I think that as especially as a new teacher, I remember it was always uh, challenging for me to figure out my approach, my teaching voice, my language. And it was only once I really started to embrace a sense of authenticity in that and teach from a place that felt really genuine, that teaching became so much easier and took a lot less energy. Mm.
0: And the third is mindfulness.
1: I mean, I think that that can come out in a lot of different ways. I mean, every morning I get up and I walk my dog in what is now the dark because it's almost winter. Right. <laughs> and I think that just kind of grounds me for the day and it puts me in a headspace where I'm just aware of what's happening in my, in my mind, in my body, just from being out and moving first thing in the day. And, and also at the end of the day, uh, my partner and I always have a nice check in with each other where we ask, what was the best part of your day today?" You know what was the highlight? What was what was the real moment that made the whole day feel feel a little bit better? And I think just having those moments of reflection and checking in can can kind of help to serve that whole mindfulness piece. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, the fourth is practicing trust.
1: Uh, I would say sort of first. I think the biggest. Challenge against proxy trust is social media <laughs> it's yes. so easy to kind of see all the things everyone else's highlight reel out there and have all this doubt around like oh it's better than me or am I doing the right thing or you know how, how am I being perceived and instead yeah kind of separate myself from that and just have faith in what I'm doing and 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 acknowledge that again, what I'm doing is coming from a place of authenticity. And, and if I can just stay true to that, to trust, just trust the process and not to try to rush it, that it's, it's all coming in time.
0: Mm. And the fifth is growing your tribe. So the people kind of surrounding you.
1: Now, what I think of when you say that is making space, you know, like allowing for people to come into your life and, having space for that. You know, I feel that within Detour, for example, when when Jen first came to me and expressed interest in getting involved, it was it was hard for me to do that. I was I was already kind of feeling very protective of the business Mm -hmm. and I wasn't sure how to make room for someone else. And again, that would be another example of practicing trust. But then in creating space for her and now creating space for the other members of the team, I get to watch them grow into who they want to be and what they want to contribute and it just helps our little tribe become that much stronger and that much more interconnected and I think that having having that sense of support for each other goes a long way so yeah I've creating space for each other and then supporting each other to take up space.
0: Mm, amazing. So to totally wrap up here, based on the notion that the pursuit of yoginess is ultimately the pursuit of the self, can you share something that your pursuit has revealed to you and moved you in the direction of self-growth and success?
1: Mm-hmm. I think that for me, the the pursuit of self has been it comes back to this idea of tapping into what feels true to me, what is a true representation of who I am. And when I first started teaching yoga, I didn't know who that was. Mm. I had become really caught up in the Ashtanga practice. That was how I had structured my identity was that I could do things you know I had certain capabilities Mm. and those and those things looked nice in pictures you know and people around me couldn't do the things that I could do and that became my identity I took pride in that kind of attachment to those postures and and those abilities and then through injury all that was taken away and I had to sit back and reevaluate what do I have now who am I without all that stuff and And so now I think that when I look at what I've created and look at how I work now and the people who I get to interact with every day, that it's from a place of a lot more self-awareness, a lot more knowing and a lot more acceptance where I don't, I know I don't have to be able to do the fancy things in order to be a person of value, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and to feel that I have something to share, even if what I have to share is something as simple as how to move your big toe better or how Mm -hmm. to create a little bit more space between your fingers, you know, In 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 a simple posture, like very, very subtle things that can make a big difference in someone's overall perception of how their body feels. Um, I think that, yeah, it's, it's, been, it's been a definite growth process in that sense, because without becoming more aware of who I was under the surface of all of that kind of fancy movement, uh, I wouldn't have been able to come to a place where I was as connected to the work that I'm now doing, because education is a passion for me. Sharing through writing and through presentation in these trainings is something I feel like I was meant to be doing. And I think that when we get to a point when we are practicing practicing um a form of work that feels like it's what we were born to do that everything else then just starts to feel a lot easier because we're no longer forcing anything it feels more natural and we feel fortunate every day to get up and do that so i think that through a process of self-discovery whether it's you know hopefully not for everyone through injury or through hardship but uh getting to a point where we're a lot more connected to to really what we're about under the surface.
0: Mm, I love it. What an absolutely amazing way to wrap up. (laughs) Um, Can you, before we let you go, can you just let the listeners know where they can go to connect with you further after the show?
1: yeah so everything to do with yoga detour is online at yogadetour.com and we post frequently on social media more more frequent instagram so that handle is at yoga detour and we also have a yoga detour facebook page on uh yeah and basically other elements of the training and a few videos and articles that we post on there as well and finally our youtube channel which is newer we just added that and it's been going for a few months now and every week i put a new practice video up there for people to use to practice at home and that's everything from like a six or seven minute video to a half an hour video to use at home so so yeah that's a good detour on youtube
0: Amazing. I love it. Well, thank you so much for chatting with us today and bringing all of these amazing strategies and insights and tips to the listeners.
1: Thank you, Rudy. It's been a pleasure.
0: Amazing. We'll talk soon.
1: Okay, great. Bye. Take care.
0: All right. And there you have it. Another amazing episode with Cecily. Thank you guys so much for being here and for tuning in. If you'd like to connect with myself or Cecily further, head on over to pursuitofyoginess.com. Check out today's show notes, the breakdown of the episode, as well as all previous episodes and their content. I also want to encourage you guys to go ahead, head on over to iTunes check it out, check out the reviews and leave me a review, just really letting me know how I'm doing on the show. It's super important to help this growth and the success of it. And it means the world to me. Honestly, some days hearing or sorry, reading your comments really, really make that much more of a difference. So as I said at the outset, Cecily did extend a special offering for the POY listeners. So head on over to PursuitOfYoginist.com where you can check out your code to 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 get 10% off any upcoming workshop with Yoga Detour. So if you're in the Toronto area or if you're surrounding the Toronto area, it is so worth the commute. Go check out what this amazing facility is doing. Meet Cecily face-to-face, pick her brain. I know I am totally gonna get my butt over there and check out some of these offerings myself. So check it out and tune in next time as we continue the pursuit of yoginess.